was I look outside <clears throat> today, I'm thinking that just this has a, been a very strange winter. And not just uh, four days ago, we had 69 degree weather in Wayne, New Jersey. It was sunny and shorts wearing weather and it felt like spring. And then the next day it slammed us back into the 20s and into the 30s. And it's just been going up and down. Usually uh, I think of February as being just a very cold and a very depressing uh, type of the year. Um, if you think about it, it's usually very cold and, and dark. In fact, I have several friends who have been diagnosed with seasonal affective disorder. And I've talked with them over the years and they've shared with me what it's like to uh, be impacted to the degree that they are by the darkness and by the cold and by the dreariness of the weather. In fact, just three weeks ago, one of my friends was telling me uh, that he started running on February 1st on a dark, dark morning. He was up at five o'clock running on his new treadmill that he purchased. Uh, and the reason he did that was because he was trying to fight back the seasonal affective disorder that he, uh, that he battles. He was combating his depression with exercise and running and trying to get on that treadmill. And maybe you're like him. Maybe you're like my friend. Maybe this is a tough season for you. Or maybe you know that this season ahead is going to be a tough season. Or maybe you don't even know that the season ahead is going to be tough. But we all have difficult seasons of life that we go through. Sometimes it's impacted by the weather, but a lot of times it's impacted by other factors in our lives. We all have times when life feels like winter, when it's dark and when it's dreary, when hardships abound. Everywhere we turn, there's a difficulty that we can't get past. We can't seem to get ahead. Life is cold and it is depressing. It can be hard living in this life. And so if you feel this way or if you've ever felt this way, I want you to know that the study that we're about to embark on for the next five weeks, this study is for you. It is for anybody who has ever felt depressed or dark or dreary or lonely or hard-pressed on any side. The next five weeks is for you. I've been excited for this series since I decided that we were going to go in this direction. Uh, this is a series that we are building around the story of Esther from the Bible. And the notes that I'm going to be using are coming to us from the uh, book by Max Lucado, uh, You Were Made for This Moment. That is the title of his new book that he released last year. And, you know, one thing I realized that I'd never realized in reading the story of Esther, something I never realized that I learned from Max Lucado in reading his book and, and participating in this study, is that nowhere in the book of Esther is God's name mentioned. Nowhere in the book of Esther is the name Lord or God mentioned. And yet the entire book of Esther, the entire book of Esther is filled with God's presence. It's filled with God's presence. Just as much as any other book is filled with his presence, this book is filled with God's presence. You will see the hand of God clearly fighting for his people through this story and through what we learn about Esther. And, and we'll see that God cares about what happens to the people who love him. Now, Max shared early on in his book, and, uh, and we're going to see this throughout the story of Esther, that the story of Esther is the story of a whispering God. It's the story of a whispering God who is unseen, yet who is always working for the good of his people. He might be unseen, but he's always working for the good of his people. God need not be loud in order to be strong. He need not cast a shadow in order to be present. God is still eloquent in his, in his seeming silence and still active when he appears most distant. I love those words from Max Lucado. 
Does God seem distant to you? Does God seem distant to you? Have you ever felt distant or disconnected from God? If so, commit yourself to these next weeks. Commit yourself to these next weeks. Join our online Bible study, as I mentioned before, that meets Monday nights for the next several weeks. Or show up here in person on Sundays. Or download the podcast after it airs in the next week. Because if you commit, God will meet you in the story of Esther. I guarantee it. The theme of Esther, and really it's the theme of the entire Bible, The theme is this. It is a message about all the injustices of the world and how all the injustices of the world will be turned on their head someday. All of them will be turned on their head. When all seems lost to us, it is not. When evil seems to win at every turn, it cannot. God is still in charge even when we don't see him at work. God is in charge. You don't have to have lived long in order for you to realize that this life it gets messy. This life gets messy. But God's solutions come through people of courage. They come through people of courage. People like Mordecai and Esther, two characters who we are going to get to know very well over the next several weeks. Now, as the story of Esther unfolds, as it begins, as we open up the pages to Esther in the Bible, you're going to be seeing this man named King Xerxes. King Xerxes, and he's, he's ruling from his throne atop all of Persia. Persia, by the way, is what we would consider to be modern-day Iran today. And so King Xerxes is, is basically running the kingdom, and as you might imagine, the king is up here, and the people are down here, right? And so you, as a person, do what the king says, or you're punished. That's how it works. The king is up here, people are down here. And one day, King Xerxes, he calls for his queen, king, Queen Vashti, And he calls for his queen. He says, come dance for me and my friends. And Queen Vashti didn't really like that idea. He has this banquet. He wants her to come dance. He wants everyone to look at her. She's beautiful, and he wants to show her off. And Vashti doesn't like being treated this way, and so she says no. She says no, which you can't do. Queen Vashti says no, and so the king has her removed from his presence, never to be seen or heard from again. He kicks her out. So then Xerxes is without a queen. And so he's conferring with his nobles and his men, and he says, you know what, we need to fix that. And so King Xerxes calls for a new queen, and he wants to have a beauty pageant. So he invites all the beautiful women of the land to come and to uh, be part of this uh, this beauty pageant. And this is where we pick up our story, this beauty contest that Xerxes is about to have, and he's bringing all these women in. And this is where we pick up our story here in Esther chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And it says this, As a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids, especially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and the maids into the best place in the harem. Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and her family background because Mordecai, her uncle, had directed her not to. Now let me give you a little bit of history here. A little bit of history. In 586 BC, the Babylonians, they captured Jerusalem. They sacked the city. They took Jerusalem. They conquered it. They shipped off about 10,000 of its nobles. 
of its rich people, of its, of its, of its important people. The city's elite, they were, they were all shipped off to Babylonia. Then in 539, right, some 50 years later, the Persians took over the Babylonians. And by the time we meet Mordecai and Esther, here in the story, they are more than three generations, and they are more than 10,000 miles removed from their home in Jerusalem. Now, it's hard for us to put ourselves in their shoes. Because when you and I woke up this morning, our families were our families. Our neighborhoods were our neighborhoods. The community that we're a part of was our community. But for Esther and for Mordecai and for so many others, their families had been ripped apart. They'd been ripped apart. Mothers and children, husbands and wives, friends and neighbors had all been relocated by force, and they'd been scattered to the four winds. Esther and Mordecai's neighbors were not necessarily their family. They were more like groups of refugees from all areas of walks of life who had banded together. They were foreigners surviving and interacting with peoples from all walks of life on a daily basis. And yet, and yet, they lost so much of their heritage, and yet, because it had been decades that they'd been living in Persia, they found a way to get comfortable. They found a way to survive. The Jews who had been transplanted into Persia, they had good and stable jobs. They had adapted to their environment, and some over the years had even adapted to Persian ways. They looked more Persian than they did Hebrew. In order to survive and even to thrive, the plan for them was to just go with the flow. Go with the flow. Follow the rules. Don't make waves. And as Max Lucado puts it in his book, if they played their cards right, they could just fade into the fabric of the culture. That was the plan. For many of them, that was the plan. But here's the thing about God's people. Here's the thing we have to understand. Here's the thing about God's people. Fading into the fabric of culture has never been God's plan for his people. It has never been God's plan for his people. Yes, it may seem easier at times. The culture of Persia was inviting. It was contemporary. It was quite attractive. Think about it. To live in the same city as the king, as King Xerxes, to be able to receive the scraps that fell from his table. If the choice was to embrace the Persian culture and live well or to embrace the Hebrew culture and live as an outsider, why would anyone, why would anyone want to do that? Why wouldn't you just forget your past and, and live and embrace the new? But there was something to be said about holding on to history. God has always intended those who follow him to be in the world, but not of the world. So look back with me, if you will, at Esther chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Esther's placed within the royal harem uh, and, and the, chief, the chief man, Haggai, was very impressed with Esther. He treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids specially chosen from the king's palace. And then he moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and the family background because Mordecai, her uncle, had directed her not to do so. Friends, we're going to see a lot more of this story unfold in the coming weeks, but for, day, I, for today, I just want you to get this point that Esther was hiding her true self. She was hiding her true self. She was living the high life. She was given special privilege by Haggai, the king's servant, who 
treated her well and put her up in the king's palace and gave her special maids and gave her a special food and placed her at the best place of the harem. And Mordecai told Esther not to say anything. Essentially, he was saying, keep your history to yourself. No one needs to know that you're of Jewish background. Just go along, play the game, be Persian, and good things are going to come for us. But here's the deal. Persia was lying to Esther. Persia was lying to Esther, and Persia lies to us. God gave the Jewish nation an assignment all the way back in the days of Abraham. The Jewish nation was given an assignment of representing God to the nation. In a covenant that God made with Abraham, God said, if you will be my people, I will be your God, and the nations of the world will be made known of me through you. That assignment was passed down through generations, and it makes its way to us today. We, the church, have the responsibility of representing Jesus to the world. People get to know who God is through Jesus Christ. And people get to know who Jesus Christ is through us. As this story of Esther begins, she's really cozy. She appears really cozy in the culture of her her day. If someone was writing a story about you or about me, how comfortable and how cozy are we in the culture of our day. If God seems distant to you, is it because God has pulled away from you or is it because you have pulled away from God and you have drawn closer to the culture of the day? You and I are caretakers of the news of Jesus Christ. At Christmas time, we stand up here every December with the Advent wreath over here and we share the Christmas Eve service sharing the light of Christmas. And what we do is we take a light from the Christ candle and we light it with one candle and then it goes from person to person to person to person. And it symbolizes what happens when the light of Jesus touches another life, the light of someone who is dark and a person who does not have that light. It lightens up their lives. It symbolizes what happens when the the light of Jesus is passed from person to person to person. It lights up the whole room. When you and I express our faith, Jesus is passed into a faith-famished culture. When we express our faith, Jesus is passed along into a culture that is faith-famished. We have hope that the world needs, but we forget this at times. We get comfortable living the high life and looking for the scraps that come from the table of the culture. And we forget that there's a world out there that's looking for what we have to offer. And so as we kick off this series, take seriously, take a serious look at your faith today. Take a look at your faith. Take a look at your faith today and see what it means to you. Where do you express your faith besides here on Sunday? Where are places that you express your faith? Is it only on Sunday mornings? Are there other places where people see your faith? Do those things around you on a daily basis, those people and those places, do they know what you believe about Jesus? And if not, how could you change that? And I'm not saying you have to go preach a sermon. In fact, one of my favorite quotes, I don't know if it's true at this point or not, but uh, years ago I learned that St. Augustine, one of the church fathers in the history of of the church, St. Augustine is quoted as having said, 
Preach the gospel every day. When necessary, use words. Friends, we can preach the gospel with our lives. We don't have to tell people and share the good news on a daily basis with our words, although there might be times for that. But preach the gospel every day. When necessary, use words. How are you living in such a way that people know, they know that there's more in this world? Persia was lying to Esther and Persia lies to us today. Hollywood will never fulfill your longings. The government can't save you. Wall Street it makes big promises, but it leads us devoid of hope. But all of us, all of us are in need of hope. As the story starts out, Esther and Mordecai, they are comfortable in their comfort zones. That's where we find them today, hiding behind their Persianness, not sharing their Jewish heritage. They live in a world that is desperate for hope, and yet they are doing nothing. They are doing nothing. And if they stay silent, if they stay comfortable, I can tell you this, that bad things are going to happen to good people. If they stay silent, bad things are going to happen to good people. And I don't want to give away any spoilers, but I do want you to know, I want you to know that this story ends, this story ends in the sense that the name of the book is Esther. There's a reason that this book never mentions the Lord, never mentions God, and yet God is included in this, this book tremendously, powerfully, strongly. This book is named after this incredible woman, and it's not because she decided to stay comfortable. You and I are caretakers of the message of Jesus Christ. When you and I express our faith, Jesus is passed along to a faith-famished culture. And so I encourage you, what can you do this week to live out the faith? Live out the faith that God has given to you. Let that question guide everything you do in this next week. And we'll see you back here next week for part two. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I am so grateful to you for this study of Esther. I thank you for how it encourages us, but it also challenges us at the same time. It is a two-pronged approach. And Lord, that is what your word does. It challenges us, it, it rebukes us at times, but it also encourages us and it lifts us up. We want to be people who are strong after you, God. We want to be people of faith. We want to be people who are close to you, God, not distant from you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would challenge us this week, but you would also build us up and grow us in faith. We pray this today in Jesus' name.